parents are giving up custody of their kids to get need-based college financial aid. That was a headline last week in ProPublica, Illinois. And it got people talking once again about the madness around college admissions. Hello and welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast, a weekly look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young, an editor and reporter here at Ed Surge. Okay, so here's what's going on in Illinois. Some pretty well-off parents in the Chicago suburbs, in some cases they're making six-figure incomes, figured out a loophole in the financial aid system. Just before their kid turns 18, these parents legally turned over guardianship to a family friend or relative. That way, in the eyes of colleges, that student is considered financially independent when they apply for admission and financial aid. In other words, in one bang of a judge's gavel, a student goes from privileged to needy. That change in status can make a big difference in how much college costs for that student. It could mean they qualify for student and federal aid programs that can total more than $11,000 a year per student. And the ProPublica investigation found that dozens of families were using this approach, handing over custody of their kids just to save on college. Even longtime watchers of college admissions said this was a new one to them. Uh, It was a surprise to me. I, I never thought that parents would stoop that low in order to get more financial aid for their kids. That's Mark Kentrowitz, an expert on financial aid who runs a popular site called savingforcollege.com. To him, these families are committing fraud by trying to fool the system, and as a result, they're taking away aid that would have gone to much needier families. But there, there's a moral line in the sand that uh, these families cross. I, I would love to have Alexis, but all I can afford to drive is a Yaris. Does that entitle me to go into the car dealership and steal Alexis? No, of course not. Uh, and, and so we have um, the system assumes that parents have primary responsibility for paying for their children's college education uh, until the child reaches age 24. Uh, and the federal government and the state governments and the colleges step in when the family is unable to pay for college, not when the family is unwilling to pay for college. Now, what we commonly hear are grass is always greener type of argument that the family is too wealthy to qualify for financial aid, but too poor to afford college. Well, the question is, which college? Are they talking about an in-state public college that's among the lower costs? Or are they talking about one of the most selective colleges, which tend to be much more expensive? And oftentimes, they feel an entitlement to that most expensive college, uh, even though they don't have the financial means to afford it. But in comments on that ProPublica article, and in some other online forums we saw, Plenty of people chimed in expressing sympathy for these Chicago-area parents, calling their move a clever solution to the challenge facing their kids, which seemed overwhelming to them. To these commenters, the real problem is the high cost of college and, and what they see as unfair rules around how much parents are expected to contribute. My name is Aaron Schwiebert, and I live in Portland, Oregon. I am a parent of two college-aged children and one child who is eight and is already starting to have to figure out planning for college. That's one of the commenters from the article. And I think he represented this reaction that lots of parents out there had. I asked him if he'd read what he posted. 
Sure, sure. Uh, I'll read it out here. Here we go. Well, I, I feel a bit conflicted here. I'm 46 now, and in my late teens and early 20s, I struggled to get financial aid because my middle-class family made too much money for the federal government to consider me worthy of grants or loans. Despite their mortgages, car loan payments, and general high cost of eking out a living, my parents expected were expected to cover the cost of my college tuition. And then when I was 22, I found myself the father of a newborn son, and my status changed overnight from dependent to independent student in the eyes of the Federal Department of Education. The floodgates of federally subsidized student loans and grants opened up to me, and I was able to get my degree. Well, now I have two college-age kids, and the federal government still uses my income to calculate their need, even though we absolutely cannot afford to send them to college. And reading this ProPublica article, I kind of wish I'd known about the guardianship loophole. It might have made my college made college actually affordable for, for my children. Uh, as it is, my 23-year-old son has been living on his own without any significant help from my wife or me for over three years now. And the Department of Education still considers him a dependent student, demanding my tax returns on his FAFSA for any kind of aid, which is kind of ludicrous. And this ProPublica piece article is trying to position this as some kind of gotcha journalism piece, clutch the pearls, people taking advantage of loopholes to make college more affordable. But here are the real scandals as I see it. One, young adults who are completely financially independent from their parents must delay college until they turn 24 to qualify for the financial aid that they need to actually pursue it. And two, the parents of adult citizens must have their own income factored into financial aid calculations for children they no longer have any financial stake in supporting. Now, I told him what Mark Kantrowitz had said, that this would essentially amount to stealing Alexis. I don't like cheats. I think people should play by the rules. But I'm not going to lie. When, when my kids were approaching college age and I was telling them, I'm not sure I can afford to give you much support in getting through school. But if you become an independent student, and here are the different avenues you can do that. You can join the military. You can uh, get married. And I'm not rushing you into marriage, but that is one way to do it. Or uh, if you have kids, and that is one way that you could you know, uh, you know, afford an education, which is ironic because kids can be very expensive. But suddenly you have a lot more avenues of support and aid if you are an independent student. It was the gist of it. And I said, otherwise, you guys are going to have to work really, really hard and get the best grades you can. Uh, because, and, and the ironic thing is, need-based uh, aid is always based on the income of the parents. And, and, and if you're a middle-income person, middle, middle class, and you are just basically getting your bills paid, your mortgage paid, and your car payment, and there's not much left over, we need aid. We need we, our, our other choice is to like sell our house and move to a, a, a bad part of town and, and, and maybe not own a second car. And it's like, I don't know, it's... I, I found myself sympathizing with the parents who are kind of looking for answers on, on how to get their kids to kind of aid. It seemed a bit drastic to be emancipating your 17-year-old two weeks before their birthday. But if it's not illegal, even if it violates the spirit of the law, I'm like, mm, I, would, I would give that a serious think. I read that parent's comment to Kantrowitz, and his reaction was essentially, can this parent and others like him really not afford college? The reality is everybody struggles to pay for college, and college is incredibly expensive. But the low-income students, even with the financial aid, struggle more than the middle-income students, and middle-income students struggle more than wealthy students to pay for college. If you calculate the net price of a college after all grants and scholarships and other gift aid are subtracted, 
and divide that into total family income. So what percentage of total family income must be devoted to paying for that education after all the aid is factored in? I call this college affordability index. It is a greater percentage for a low-income family to send their child to a community college than it is for a middle-income family to send their child to a private four-year college and then and so on for middle versus high income uh, so the reality is that even with this financial aid we are as a nation not doing enough to enable low-income college capable students to pursue a college education and the baseline that uh, middle-income families often measure themselves against isn't any college it's particularly expensive colleges and just because it's much more difficult to afford those colleges doesn't give anybody a right to cheat and steal from the federal and state government and from the colleges themselves uh, so that they their child can go to college and not have to borrow or not have to pay as much yeah well the problem with the system is it assumes that the parents are all equipped to put their adult children through a four-year or eight or six or eight-year degree program which frankly we just aren't i mean i i feel like i make a decent living i put food on the table we can take a nice vacation from time to time or get nice presents at christmas time and birthdays but I am not driving a Lexus, you know, and I am not, I, I'm not driving a Yaris, but I need to be able to um, afford, uh, if I'm expected to help my, my kids through school, I, I don't know how I'm supposed to do that on, on the income that I have. Um, that's, that's what it boils down to. But you're not somebody who's like, it's got to be, uh, it's got to be the most exclusive bragging no. rights school or nothing. No, because honestly, I look around my workplace and I, I look look around the people who I interact with and who I respect, and I, I have no idea where they went to school. It doesn't it doesn't really uh, it doesn't impact my impression of them. And I may be alone in that, or I may be in the minority. For other people, it might be like, oh my gosh, that dude went to Stanford, and he is so amazing because he went to Stanford. And now look at him. I'm more like I'm more in awe of people who I work with on a daily basis who never went to college at all and have achieved some really incredible successes in their career. And so we've also kind of backed down on you got to go to college talk. We we encourage our our oldest who's kind of on a break from college as he, he just moved and so he's kind of getting settled. But we're like, you'll be 24 soon and you'll be an independent student. So this problem about funding kind of goes away in a sense that you'll be able to sort of get the aid that you need uh, without requiring mom and dad's tax returns to determine your need. Your need is going to be very high because you don't you're, you're flipping burgers right now as opposed to, uh, you know, going to school. Well, you know, you're working retail fast food as opposed to uh, a higher income job that would make you uh, less eligible for the need based aid. Since so many people in the comments seem to express views like this parent, I was curious to hear what the reporters who did this investigation for ProPublica thought. So I reached out to one of the authors of the article, Jody Cohen. She was on her way to report another story, and, and she could only talk by cell phone. So this recording of our call was pretty garbled. But I asked her, was she surprised by the reaction? No, not, I'm not surprised by it, because I think really the, um, you know, one time the story... One subtext of it is that college is so expensive, and so I think that's why a lot of people are focusing on that and saying, like, this is a symptom of 
college being you know, too expensive and families feeling really squeezed. She did say that in response to the article, lawmakers in Illinois are looking to try to close this loophole. We also put out a call in Next, our weekly higher ed newsletter, asking readers to share their thoughts on the issue. One person we heard from was Samantha Stuber, who until recently was a college and career counselor at a public high school. I was curious to ask her whether she'd ever heard of a family giving up custody of their kid just to get better financial aid. I actually have never heard of that one, although it doesn't surprise me with what people, the links that people go to. She immediately brought up the even bigger college admission scandal that came out earlier this year, when federal investigators found that parents allegedly paid huge amounts to get their kids into highly selective colleges by cheating on admissions tests or bribing college officials or even helping kids falsely pose as student-athletes to get into Ivy League colleges or other desirable schools like USC. That was not surprising at all either. It's like all things that are very, um, that are happening, uh, very, like it, it was just, it was surprising that it became such a big scandal because it happened so often, to be honest. I think there was a variety of different levels of of families. Um, Some that would go from, like moving to like uh, mortgaging their house and making sure that they can afford financials and doing anything possible and going to whatever debt possible to go to these mo- like most elite schools. There were those kind of families to the families that made upwards of $300,000 a year and refused to pay for their students' education, which was really heartbreaking because they can't afford to pay for their education and then they disqualify their students from being able to get any kind of aid. Um, So there was a whole different level and skew of of where families were coming from. Now, I want to make super clear here. I'm not taking any sides. And I'm certainly not saying that it's okay to lie or commit fraud or do the college admissions equivalent of stealing a Lexus. And to be fair, even that parent I spoke with at length said he wouldn't do it either. I think that the conversation needs to shift about, you know, I realize that the the USC scandal that that hit in, in the news a couple months ago was a big deal. And those people should be punished for fraud. And I do believe that uh, that the issue on the ProPublica piece is important because it's it's essentially fraud. I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's it's a it's a creative loophole. But you're really kind of not telling the truth about your your financial situation. But I think the conversation needs to shift to how do we determine need. Uh, for for students like is is the family really expected to bear to bear the burden of of the college education of a young adult who is going to be the beneficiary of that education um and i think i'm i feel it especially because i've got a, a little one and two older ones where i've got to figure out and i've got retirement coming in 15 20 years i'd like to think but um so uh yeah it's one of those uh, things where I, I, I can appreciate the, the need for an education, but I feel like the person who should pay for it is the beneficiary of it and not the, the people who raised them, who already spent a lot of blood, sweat, and tears getting them to adulthood. So let's face it. The parents giving up guardianship of their kids are the extreme cases. The bigger policy issue is this question of who should pay for college and how much. Since so many people benefit from someone getting an education. After all, the student becomes a better employee, so businesses and the economy benefit. They become a better citizen, so our democracy benefits. It brings the students more earnings over a lifetime. And it helps them move out of their parents' basement. So what's the right payment plan that also ensures access to those who really can't afford to study unless they get help? 
This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Each week, we bring you conversations or stories like this one. So if you're not already, please subscribe and take a minute to give us a rating, which will help others find the podcast. This episode was put together by me, Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more on the future of learning. Thanks for listening.